Hello everybody uh, and Kiora. We are very excited to bring this session to you um, and showcase the projects uh, recognized with the Ostrods Bridge Awards. The awards acknowledge individuals and organizations that have delivered outstanding bridge structures and design across Australia and New Zealand. Uh, the awards were presented at the 11th Ostrods Bridge Conference held in Adelaide in November 2022 um, and proudly co-hosted by Ostrods and the Department of um, for Infrastructure and Transport South Australia. Welcome to you all uh, and thanks for joining us today. Uh, my name is Ekaterina, um, I'm a Senior Communications Officer at Ostrods and I will be moderating today's session together with Elisa Steban. Elise is the Program uh, Coordinator for the Ostrods Transport Infrastructure Program. She helped initiate and also managed uh, the new launch of the Ostrods uh, Bridge Awards in 2022 um, and she was one of the members um, of the Ostrods Bridge uh, Conference Organising Committee. I'd like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the Aboriginal people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. Um, Australia is based in Sydney and today I'm on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging um, and the deep and ongoing connection to the land. A little bit about Ostroads, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies and our focus is to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. Um, the Ostroads Bridge Conference and Awards were delivered by the Ostroads Transport Infrastructure Program um, and the Department for Infrastructure and Transport South Australia. The Ostroads Program is managed by Rose Guppy. A bit of housekeeping, um, our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for about 15 minutes. Um, the slides can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. Um, to send us your questions for the Q&A, please use the question icon on your sidebar um, and in your message let us know what project your question relates to. Also let us know if you have any technical problems, uh, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, uh, the issue is most likely with your internet connection, so closing your browser and rejoining the session again via your email registration usually helps. Um, this session is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recording uh, and it's available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, you can also find Ostrots in your podcast app. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today. Our first speaker is Logan Malani, uh, Managing Director of InQuick. Logan will talk about the Tural Bridge Project, uh, the winner uh, in the category Excellence in Innovation. Our second presenter is Will Pank, um, Technical Director, Structural Engineering from Becker. Will will present the Auckland Harbour Bridge Emergency Repairs Project, the winner in the Excellence in Asset Management category. Next, we will hear from Graham Dundas, uh, BG&E's Technical Director, Bridges, and Erica Smith, uh, BG&E WA uh, Bridge Lead. They will present uh, the High Street Bridge Vertical Clearance Improvement Project, the winner in the Best Structure 35 Meters or Under category. And our last presenter is Boris Vujovic, uh, BG&E's Technical Director. Boris will talk about the Mandura uh, Bridge Project, the winner in the Best Structure over 35 uh, meters category. So welcome to all our presenters uh, and over to you Logan. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Katharina, and uh, all of the Osroads team for uh, for putting this uh, you know presentation opportunity together. You know what a great uh, recognition for some amazing projects and uh, you know around uh, Australia and New Zealand. And uh, I'm really great to uh, grateful to be here today presenting on the Inquick system and the uh, Terrell uh, Bridge project. So today. Uh, Oh gosh, I'm just working through this slide thing. Um, so as a bit of a background on myself, uh, Logan Mullaney is my name and my father and uncle yeah, invented a uh, bridge system 
which is called the Inquit Bridge System. And I'm also one of the co-inventors of some of the elements of this system. Uh, I'm the Managing Director of Inquit Australia and the President of Inquit US USA. And uh, since introducing this product into the market, we've delivered almost 200 bridges across Australia and, and uh, internationally. And so today we're here to uh, discuss the uh, Terrell uh, bridge that we had built and it was a really interesting project. It had taken some time to go through the development of it from uh, all of the environmentals. It's an extremely sensitive environment in, uh, you know, around Burke. It's, a, it's an area where several waterways converge and a lot of fish passage considerations. And so uh, the other aspect was just involving all of the Aboriginal community around the area and lots of uh, artefacts and so on. And so we were engaged through the design process. Uh, then we provided all of the componentry for the contractor who installed the, the project, a company called Penza, and Alluvium were the designers on this project. So we designed the bridge based upon all of the different uh, environmental flows, and it's in a floodplain area, and the people that were involved were like New South Wales. Uh, planning industry and environment. We had uh, the you know National Parks and Wildlife Service as well as Fisheries, Public Works Advisory, and the uh, Aboriginal you know Joint Management Committee uh, for Terrell. And we proposed a, a three-span bridge, and this was because of the depth of the section for flooding events. And the bridge was designed to be overtopped in the uh, location. And it's, uh, it's quite a remote area, so access was a big issue and, and needing to consider ability to utilise, you know, smaller cranes uh, and having a less uh, environmental impact on the location uh, was a big consideration. Uh, as we were going through the design, one of the things that was highlighted was really around the red sands of the, the location. And this was a big thing for the Aboriginal community there. And so we worked with Blue Scope Steel and, uh, and we provided all the formwork in a weathering steel, which is called red core. And, uh, and this turns uh, you know, very, uh, very dark red color and uh, with the patina. And the, it was something that was very highly uh, sought after uh, by the community. And you can sort of see that image there on the bottom right uh, of the, the patina showing. And so this bridge project was installed over uh, 21 days or 28 days. Uh, it was a relatively short construction timeline and we had some drivers that actually turned up and they, they said, where the, on earth did this bridge come from? It was just, uh, there was nothing here and, and now the bridge is complete. And so the abutments and headstocks came in on day one Day two, they were filled with concrete and then the, the decks sort of came in um, a little bit after that and, uh, and then the concrete was placed as well. And it was, uh, it was a very fast process and one that was completed by FIFO workers. You know, they had a relatively small crew and they were staying out there in one of the shepherd's uh, huts on, on site. And uh, the completed project needed to have a, a fishway uh, considerations on the downstream as well as some debris um, collection devices. Uh, and so we got recommended uh, as a highly commended project through the Australian Steel Awards for New South Wales. And 98% uh, of the steel that went into this project was all Australian steel. Now, most of you uh, may or may not know uh, about the Inquit system, but we developed a product which is for building reinforced concrete bridges. And what we do is we prefabricate the formwork and reinforcement into modular components. Now, these components don't have any concrete in them, so they're around 10 to 15% of the weight of a precast uh, element. And the beauty of it being all cast on site is that you get one mass of concrete. So it's, it's not, uh, you, know, you don't have joints between the elements. So it's a very resilient structure. And so we provide the abutments, the headstocks, all the deck units, all the loose reinforcement, essentially everything from above the foundation. And uh, it enables local contractors to install the bridges with limited skills, as well as being able to keep a lot of those funds in the communities. And so 
most of the projects we've been doing have actually been with local councils or uh, local contractors. And the big benefits of this construction uh, methodology is that it's obviously a very fast construction timeline, but you've also got a lot less trades that are involved in the project. You've got no propping in the waterway, so you're working you know, completely above. You'll have very light components, so you're not requiring an extremely large crane. Uh, many bridges we've built have actually just been installed by a local you know, small excavator and uh, you've got guaranteed concrete cover. Uh, it's very low construction risk uh, because it's very short construction timelines and we've had projects that have been completed within five to seven days. Uh, that's including piling. And uh, so you're reducing your risk with weather delays, et cetera. And one of the other unique attributes is we've been able to design the bridges fully integral in many cases. And so we connect the abutment and the deck together and we also have multi-span headstock designs for fully integral connections. And then that removes all of your maintenance elements. And it's a big uh, benefit of an integral bridge, creating a lot more resilience and redundancy in those types of designs. And, um, and so as we came into market, we initially came into market in 2017 after we built a, a demonstration bridge. And then it just grew out from there. And, uh, and to the point where we have projects internationally. Uh, we recently shipped off some bridges to the Solomon Islands and uh, it enables you, know, you to transport them easily, but also create a, a long-term structure. Uh, when you come to the design, there's nothing that innovative about the Inquik system. It's just a reinforced concrete bridge. But what we've done is we utilize the permanent reinforcement to carry the weight of the wet concrete. And so we do that by incorporating a truss into the reinforcement. Now, what we do to take the dead load is we increase the diameter of that bar by about 30% to take that wet concrete load. And then we transfer the load through the beam to the abutments, which is uh, obviously sitting on your foundation. And so you can see in those top left images there, uh, within the cover zone is stainless steel. Between dissimilar metals, we use uh, fibre washers to stop electrolysis. And um, uh, in addition to this, we've spent a lot of time modelling the system. We've been working with Sydney University and a range of other academic um, institutions on understanding uh, how the system works and what it's capable of doing. And um, we've recently completing uh, approvals regarding the inland rail or ARTC type, uh, type loadings for 300 LA and looking at uh, many different uh, design considerations, uh, including you know, the US load codes, et cetera. So we set up an operation over in the US about 12 months ago, and we've been working with DOTs across the country, and there's a $40 billion bridge program across the United States, a lot of bridges in uh, poor condition, 46,000 or so, and you can see in those, all the dots there on the right, and so we're working on uh, state approvals. We've got projects that we're building across several states at the moment. And there's really, uh, it's been very obvious that there's a need for a product like Inquik. And uh, not only from a perspective of low skilled labor, et cetera, but also a quality of finished product. Um, and so the system that we developed, you know, utilizing the reinforcement to carry the weight of the wet concrete, it can be used for many different verticals. So we're working in car park designs, you know, building jetties and marine structures, etc. You know, and uh, and this is where there's sort of endless possibilities with a methodology like this, and we're working towards offering different products for those different verticals. So. In conclusion, you know, the Inquik system is a very simple design philosophy based on a reinforced concrete bridge. It's very predictable and it's been used over the world for over 100 years. We simply have just invented a different way to get to the same result by using the reinforcement to carry the weight of the wet concrete. And uh, yeah, so that gives the conclusion to my presentation. And uh, if there's any questions you'd like, uh, please reach out or put them in the chat box and we'd be happy to answer them accordingly. So I'm going to pass it over to Will, and uh, thank you all for your time.
Hello, I'm Will Pank. I'm uh, uh, the structural engineering lead for the Auckland Harbour Bridge in New Zealand. Um, on behalf of Waka Kotahi and and the Auckland System Management Maintenance Alliance, who managed the Auckland the motorway network system around Auckland. Uh, the Auckland Harbour Bridge is Wakakotahi's largest bridge asset. It's a 1.1 kilometre crossing of the Waitamata Harbour in central Auckland. It consists of a central truss bridge, which carries four lanes of traffic, and two extension bridges, which were added. Uh, they're steel, steel box girder structures, which carry two lanes in each direction. Um, it carries 170,000 vehicles every day. So when an incident happened in September 2020, um, causing the centre four lanes to be completely blocked, um, there was a huge problem for the travelling public in, New in, in, in Auckland, in the whole region. Um, two trucks were blown over in a freak, um, unpredicted windstorm. Um, a northbound parcel truck and a southbound container lorry, which caused the damage. This was hit by a 128-kilometre-an-hour gust of wind, turned it onto two wheels, then over the barrier and slammed into a member in the middle of the main span of the truss. Um, it's a 244-metre span truss bridge. Um, I was given a call about 15 minutes later by the bridge manager, who showed the photo on the left. It's a diagonal battened tension member made of riveted plates and angles looked fairly innocuous until inspectors sent us the picture of the connection down to the bottom cord in the middle which showed all the bolts connecting that diagonal to the to the cords sheared off we knew then we had a serious problem on our hand we got all the traffic off the bridge and mobilized our team that day to get an emergency response plan in progress um, we worked very closely with Waka Kotahi and their communications team who were giving messages out to the public with SRG, the Bridge Maintenance Contractors, and the, the Auckland System Management Maintenance Alliance who managed the operations on the, on the motorway. Our plan was to do an assessment of the impact, effects of the impact on the remaining structure, get some temporary repairs in place as quickly as possible to get as many lanes as possible moving and to get on with the permanent repairs with considerable time pressures. And this is a cross section of the bridge at the middle of the main span. The bridge has a movable lane barrier which allows five lanes um, traveling southbound in the morning peak and five lanes northbound in the afternoon peak. So when the center four lanes were taken, that meant two lanes in each direction. A five into two did not go. It was a complete gridlock right across Auckland and the North Shore. And there was a lot of pressure to move fast. So our first question was to analyze this structure. Just have a look here. There's a portal frame in the middle of that main span where the member was severed. And that was a piece of a piece of of the truss which allowed load sharing between the east and west trusses, which relieved some of the load where they broke broken member was lost. Another alternative load path was through the, the, cord, the truss cords. Um, we used these models which we'd had working for a number of years doing upgrades, strengthening and assessment work. So we had the tools to assess these battened members and the cords which are riveted box girder members. Um, the box girders are not designed for bending moments. They're designed predominantly for axial loads in this truss. But when the member broke, the diagram on the left shows bending moments with the member in place, and the diagram on the right, moments which peaked in those cords um, around the severed member. Um, the assessment findings showed that with the bridge in its current condition and a temporary repair, only two lanes of traffic could be carried by the structure. In order to get the full four-lane load carrying capacity back into the truss, we needed to reinstate the previous locked-in dead load condition, redistributing forces within those cords and, and um, portal frame members. There was a lot of investigation inspections done looking for damage that we couldn't see 
visibly. NDT on the gusset plates, looking at the bolts for any signs of damage while we got on with the repairs. So the first temporary repair was done four days after that incident. We were up there in a, on a Tuesday night installing this circular hollow section in the lower half of the member. Um, that, that allowed two lanes of traffic to get back onto the bridge. But of course, that still didn't relieve the pressure on the motorway network. It was estimated that delays to the traveling public were costing in the re region of $2 million a day. So we really had to pull the stops to get to get this design work done for the, pe the permanent replacement. Um, it was a like-for-like -like replacement. We had to respect the historic value of the architectural value of the structure. It's, it's a landmark for Auckland. Um, the complexity was in the reinstatement of that temporary, temporary uh, getting a 75-ton load jacked into the member. So we built these frames. It split the member into two halves with jacking frames that allowed a center hole jack to be put in place and the gap closed and monitored as we installed it on site. It was all about designing for constructability. Um, we had fabrication going off on from the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It was painted on the Thursday. On Friday, we were up there doing a trial fit of the members to make sure that everything could fit together when it got to site. There was a lot of careful detailing in that design to allow the bolting to put in. We had half the members, one side of the member bolted, the other side, sorry, drilled for bolts. The other side was going to be drilled on site using close tolerance bolts so that when that center hole jack was removed, we didn't lose the tension locked into the member. So that all, everything aligned to, for a closure on the Saturday night on the 3rd of October, so two and a half weeks after, or two and a bit weeks after the incident. Um, a southbound closure of the Harbour Bridge had never been done before. That was a major operation in itself with a lot of comms and warnings out to the public to try and minimise the effects of traffic traffic flows. Um, it all, all went to plan, closure on at nine o'clock by about midnight, the old damaged member was replaced, the two halves of the new member installed, and we handed over to our team to do the jacking of the two halves to reinstate that dead load force. Um, we were going to increment the loading, the 75 tons, in four equal, in equal portions and measure the gap as it closed. We also had a dozen survey points set up around nodes in the truss to monitor the displacements of the bridge as that load was applied. Um, this was so that we could compare actual displacements on the structure with our predicted displacements from structural analysis um, to, to confirm the performance was as expected. Of course, with historic structures, many of you will know, nothing behaves exactly as your models predict, predict. So we had done some homework before we got to site with some setting some acceptance criteria for load effects and displacements that would work, would allow us to leave the bridge in, a, in an acceptable position. We had to install about an extra 110%, an extra 10% of load in that member, and we got within 85% of predicted displacements of all those trust loads. And we could confirm then from our previous analysis that this was going to restore the full load carrying capacity of the bridge for the four lanes of traffic. We verified this on site further with some uh, load tests. So four 21-ton trucks were positioned on the bridge next to the replacement member. You can see it there. Looks pretty much like the, the one that was replaced. Um, we had strain gauges on the member. So as well as measuring displacements to confirm that redistribution across the bridge, we also measured actual stresses in the member, really looking for any anomalies in stress distribution with within that member so there weren't any locked-in bending moments that we didn't want. That all went to plan. By midday, we had opened the bridge to two lanes. Um, we had a peer review, which was done by Arcadis in London, so they worked overnight to confirm the outcomes of all this work. 
and the next day we could open the bridge up to traffic um, 18 days after the initial bridge strike. Um, the purpose of the Ostro's paper was to share lessons learned from this work. And I'll summarize those here. So first lesson was that the traffic safety posed a bigger risk to the structure than the wind itself. So since then we have, the ASM has reviewed the safe operating protocols for wind. There are certain trigger points where alternate lanes are closed when wind, wind reaches certain speed. And when wind gets over 100 kilometers now, the bridge is now closed with warnings given out to the public before that happens. Um, that's lowered the trigger points from what it was before this incident. The other outcome of this assessment was that there were the alternative load paths that provided redundancy to those trust members, um, which were investigated in some depth using our pre-constructed pre, pre, um, assessment tools because they're quite complicated, built up members that aren't don't comply with New Zealand standards. We used, used Australian, I mean, US standards for the assessment there. The other critical lesson was that the predicted displacements of the historic structure were not as expected by, the real displacements were not as predicted by computer models. So it was absolutely crucial to have preset acceptance criteria before carrying out the, re, the installation so that when you're making decisions at six o'clock in the morning after a night working on the bridge, they were informed and we could confirm to Wakakotahi that the flow carrying capacity was within acceptable um, acceptable conditions at the end of the night. And it did, so I just um, want to have to thank everyone involved with this. We, we worked very closely with Wakakotahi throughout the process. They were carrying out comms with the whole, the whole of Auckland region. Uh, thanks to the SRG Global constructors, who are the maintenance contractor for the bridge, who did the works, and WSP, the asset managers, worked together as a seamless team in an alliance. And I really take my hat off to the Becker structural engineering team, who worked solidly through those 18 days to make sure the bridge could be opened as soon as it poss feasibly possible. I think we exceeded the expectations of Wakotahi and the travelling public who were mighty relieved when the full bridge was open again the following after the installation. So thanks to everyone involved and that's the end of my presentation. I will now like to hand over to Erica and Graham. Thanks for that. Uh, going over to the other side of the off-roads remit, um, talking to you about a project in Perth. So Hay Street Bridge Vertical Im Clearance Improvement Project was a very congested bridge over our main north-south freeway, um, and it carried a lot of traffic, pedestrian and cars, um, over, 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 over a busy freeway. Worse than that, uh, Parliament Hill was just in the top right there, so it was a closely watched project. Just a little bit of background, as I said, it, the bridge itself crosses um, the freeway and um, it, it's, a, it's a very busy environment. The bridge itself was built in 1968. It's a continuous structure with three spans um, and the cells, are, the bridge is made up with 11 reinforced concrete cells. Uh, the vertical clearance at the time was 4.6 metres. Um, the freeway itself has a 4.3 metre restriction. So everything should be okay. Uh, the 18 tonne posted load limit was just a, a carryover from design to a very old code. But the issue that we were getting was that the bridge kept getting hit. Uh, the vehicles, as I said, sh should have known that they were over height, but they didn't. And the bridge was getting impacted about every six months by an overheight vehicle. And it varied from major impact, as you can see here, to, to fairly minor, but all of them resulted in congestion on the freeway and debris falling onto the freeway and closing the freeway for extended periods of time. So our objectives for this project were to reduce the likelihood of the vehicle strikes, but the main impact for main roads was to reduce the congestion on the freeway caused by both the strikes themselves and also the cleanup and then the repairs that were having to be done later. 
We looked at a whole bunch of different options and, and you probably think, well, why not just lower the freeway? That was looked at, but there was lots of services in the way and, um, and, and also drainage as well, uh, barriers. So we, this was the preferred option where we had a, a unique approach to remove three cells of the bridge um, to reduce this pinch point. So you can see here with the freeway grade going this way and the bridge crossfall going the other way, we had this pinch point here of 4.6 metres. So by removing these cells, we're actually able to increase the vertical clearance by uh, about 300 mils, which was significant. We were also able to replace um, what we cut out with an independent structure at a raised location and, and incorporate a bridge protection beam. Thank you, Eric. Uh, so the challenge was within a few planned closures of the southbound carriageway of the Mitchell Freeway, um, we were to uh, demolish uh, three three beams effectively or eleven beams of the bridge of the, the central span only which meant that the end spans would be left as simply supported for those three beams. Our response to that was to apply post-tensioning to those and make use of the internal diaphragms in, in these end spans. Um, here's a view of the external post-tensioning that we applied, external to the concrete, internal to the cells. Um, very limited headroom, so we had to cut access holes in the in the uh, top slab of the of the cells, um, and we use the intermediate diaphragms as deflectors for those tendons. <coughs> um, the cutting involved. Um, circular discs and wire cutters. We cut the 600 tonnes or so of concrete into eight pieces, which is three beams and a parapet piece, including some cantilever, which we found we were able to reuse. We'll get to that. Um, here's the cutout at, at, at the point of having cut out the the entire span and entire three cells of the span. Um, we then attached uh, robust um, uh, pieces for connecting to be able to span uh, this shallower structure across from diaphragm to diaphragm. We cored through these diaphragms and bolted on these uh, connected um, structures with, with McElroy bars. Um, we, the, the previous section showed that we were going to have a cantilever out here, but in fact it turned out to be better to cut that back here as we were finding the edge beam was overloaded. Uh, so the cross-section of that central span is shown here, the impact protection beam with 50 millimetre thick plate um, and designed for the, uh, the design loads various 5,100, 1,000 kilonewtons horizontally and 500 kilonewtons vertically. It was quite a challenge to make sure that, that those connections I was talking about were, were robust enough. Um, well away from the protection beam, we've got a, a box girder that supports this walkway um, that was supplemented by an eye section here. It's, it's asymmetrical because of this relatively large cantilever. And we had to support high voltage electrical services here. Um, we also needed to put up uh, TL4 barriers to prevent traffic from running onto the walkway um, and because of the thin slab this needed brackets here to make that strong enough. Finally we added cladding to the bottom surface so we've got large ledges here to sit that cladding on so that if this 
when this gets hit, if it gets hit with large deflections, this cladding would still be supported, less chance of falling on the road and causing a problem. Um, the walkway slab was constructed by having precast concrete slabs in here. We reused the original parapet and part of the cantilever with starter bars coming out so that we could stitch it all together with in situ concrete topping. Um, here, here's a view of the steelwork being lifted in. That's the protection beam here, the eye, the, the, the box girder, and the eye section here and the service ducts. And the final product with the TL4 barrier and the walkway behind and the original parapet reinstated. Um, here's a view before we reinstated that parapet, uh, showing the protection beam, how we made it flush with the um, face of the original box girder with the extra clearance of almost 300 millimetres. Um, now, reinstating that parapet involved some quite heavy false work, cantilevered at, off the deck, uh, and here's the final structure with the FRP cladding in place. Over to you, Right, so just to finish off, um, there are obviously lots of really beneficial outcomes from this project, but I just want to highlight those really in bold. So we had a 1968 bridge that, that's now prolonged its life. It's not so easy to re replace this structure. Main roads have been looking at it for quite some time, but because of the close proximity to buildings and over the freeway, being able to achieve additional vertical clearance with the existing structure was very advantageous. It was a sustainable design in that we reused the existing bridge, the uh, existing diaphragms and pier columns, as well as the existing parapets. So now we've got an impact protection beam um, that is going to result in a safer and more robust freeway system. So just some conclusions. It's an out-of-the-box innovative design. It's the first time that we know of that it's ever been done in terms of chopping out 30% of a middle span of a continuous structure. So there were lots of innovations in this project to do with strengthening inside those very tight 530 mil high reinforced concrete cells, the temporary support design, stage demolition, and the reuse of the existing components. So the best news is, hey, it's worked. There's only been one bridge strike since installation, whereas previously main roads were experiencing one every six months. So that particular strike was a 4.9 metre high load. Uh, again, 4.3 metres is what they're meant to be maximum. So that would have resulted in major damage to the outside box at least, um, travelling at 80 kilometres an hour. But this particular strike only resulted in a little bit of paint damage to the protection beam, no freeway downtime, no maintenance. So it's been a fantastic outcome. Thank you. Uh, over to Boris uh, in WA. Uh, hello, everyone. I think that I managed to unmute myself. Uh, so I'm staying in WA, uh, as we mentioned before, some 70 kilometers uh, south of uh, Perth is city of Mandurah, where some 10 to 15 years ago uh, it was acknowledged that then existing Mandurah traffic bridge was due for replacement. Uh, original bridge was built in 1953. It was a, a combination of steel and steel and uh, timber stringers uh, with a number of short spans uh, spanning. Mandura Estuary, which is basically connecting Indian Ocean with a field inlet, and the, the whole area is major recreational uh, resource uh, for, for, for the city and, and, and for Western Australia. Uh, the existing bridge was pretty much falling apart, and uh, 
city was developing plans for their uh, foreshore development. And you can basically see that Indian Ocean is in the north, uh, estuary, and then Peel Inlet is, is outside of, of this slide, but uh, at the bottom. And basically, new crossing pretty much defines area that, uh, that foreshore area that is uh, significant for the city residents. Um, Pigeony has done initial concept studies for, for the road design. Uh, we have also looked at uh, various options to come up with an uh, iconic structure at, at uh, concept level. And so sort of in, in a couple of slides that I'm showing here, you can see that the previously the road had a kink on this western foreshore, which obviously was not ideal for traffic movement. So after after a bit of work, we did develop what was a preferred road alignment for the for the for the upgrade of of the existing um, road network. Uh, following that, the um, city has basically carried out uh, uh, has established reference uh, community group uh, to to assist it in identifying. Uh, uh, objectives for for the project and for development and and you can see uh, what came as a very strong feedback from the community is the existing fishing platforms on the old bridge were really uh, there, there was basically emotional connection with the old bridge and fishing platforms and there was a strong desire to basically create a special place for the whole community so Main Roads WA and the city of Mandura have then prepared a design brief for, for a new bridge that pretty much primary objectives is summarized in this slide and, and which, which basically in, in all normal, if you like, road infrastructure uh, objectives, which is obviously safety, improved traffic movements and everything else, uh, the main thing was actually to address uh, community expectations. Design response, so, so this was actually design and construct, so competitive design and construct uh, contract where uh, Main Roads has limited uh, total contract price to I think about $50 million. And basically, I, I, I would talk briefly about options will be considered, but basically design response to the brief is pretty much on the left-hand side that the renders produced in the tender, and on the right-hand side is uh, finished product uh, bridge and some sort of fishing platforms. We'll have to move on to the geometric requirements. So, so we have developed a road design that basically had a constant vertical and horizontal curvature and basically that facilitates incremental launching of the superstructure as the selected uh, construction method. We did have a look at, at precast options, but because of limited road access, it, it was basically virtually impossible to bring long elements via road, and then uh, doing it with a barge on the ocean was simply just not cost-effective. Cost uh, we have adopted well, significantly longer spans than what was there initially, so 42 meters of internal spans and 37.6 meters long end spans, with uh, two larger uh, navigational openings. And basically, in the tender, uh, the main bridge was from from uh, the main bridge length defined as a minimum was from about pier one to abutment two, and and that extension of the western foreshore was uh, added in as as uh, optional works uh, in the, uh, as well as. Uh, fishing platforms, a number of uh, project enhancements. So, so these are the options that we had briefly looked at at the tender. So I'm not going to talk about it too much. But basically, this is a cross-section that was developed in response to the project brief. And it was uh, well carefully detailed to uh, address all objectives to to, to, to be constructible using incrementally launching technique. And particular attention was uh, given to the shaping of the webs. So we do have these two lines of webs that are basically carrying the weight of the structure, uh, minimizing obviously the, the number of supports during the launching to two. Uh, curved soffit is, is extended 
up to the south side to actually carry out this uh, section, which would otherwise be cantilever that is too long for the for the normal uh, uh, reinforced concrete section. So basically, we have actually effectively created the two cell box section, and in addition to that, we had a five meter shade path that is connecting western and eastern foreshore. Uh, kink in this web actually is, is really important aesthetically and we'll get to that a little bit later but it provides uh, uh, visually uh, breaks down the height of this wall the barrier provides protection from the traffic and simply provides wide and safe environment and probably worthwhile mentioning that having a shared path at the lower level also reduces the, 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 the total length travel by pedestrians between the two foreshores. So uh, I'll just try to basically get a couple of photos of the finished project. So this is a south elevation. Uh, piers are also they are quite simple, but they actually complement the curvature of the bridge superstructure. And basically, this is probably one of the better photographs showing it from the north uh, shape part at a lower level. And, and, and overall curvature of the road uh, and, and, and the structure complementing each other. Now, um, if you remember, this connection to the water was a really important project ob objectives to, to, to uh, define by the city. So, so that wide shade part at the lower level is pretty much bringing pedestrian as close to the water as possible whilst meeting all navigational clearance requirements. And then you can see a glimpse of the uh, fishing platforms. Uh, I probably won't have enough time to talk about all things, all things technical, but bridge is restrained in the middle and we are using three piers to resist ultimate loads. It has been designed to resist uh, also vessel impact. Uh, they are just uh, cross-section construction also. The box is uh, longitudinally post tension using uh, concentric pre-stressing for launching and continuity tendons. Uh, again, important thing is this was quite complex shape uh, for, for, for forming and quite a big challenge for construction team. And we tried to make it as simple as possible, but basically adopting a constant, constant section without any peer diaphragm. So, so basically we have adopted relatively wide webs to enable continuity tendons to be profiled along the, the, the length of the bridge. And then we've introduced also transverse post tensioning for, for relatively long uh, principal shade path cantilever sort of to keep deflections down. I will not have time to talk about uh, incremental launching and average package use for the construction. And just wanted to add, um, there, there are several smaller and bigger enhancements that were added to the whole project. So, so uh, light poles and shade uh, shade pole lights, pedestrian balustrades were all uh, designed specific for the project. Whereas Southern Edge, we've used standard main roads guardrail, which actually also allows visibility of the estuary. When, as, you, as you're crossing the roadway. So this five meter wide shade path is really important uh, aspect of the design and, and construction. And basically it is used for, for, for events in the city of Mandira quite often. Uh, that will be my timer. So probably jump in a couple more seconds. In addition to a functional lighting, we have also incorporated uh, feature lighting. So in a couple of slides, probably show that at every pier, and then basically a strip lighting on, along that uh, shade part that is basically just continuous uh, strip that is fully pro programmable in, in various colors. And here in the background, you can also see a third fishing platform that was actually constructed on the remains of the old bridge that then pretty much provides connection, historical connection with, with the old structure and uh, reference for, for people. The fishing platforms are probably most important part in, in terms of uh, community experience. Uh, they are used quite a lot. And I think 
I'll just have to acknowledge Dr. Ernie Evans, uh, E in BGNE, who has really con well, developed this curved cross-section as, as a conceptual idea. And thank you very much for, for your patience. I'll go back to Ekaterina, I think. Thank you, Boris, and thank you to all our award winners for participating in this webinar. So I'll, I'll now invite all of the presenters to come up and join the Q&A session. So thanks for your presentation, and it's definitely given me more insight into the reasons why these are award-winning projects. And just a reminder to our audience members, if you have any questions or comments for our presenters, just open up your sidebar and type your questions in the question section. So we have a few questions which are addressed to Logan from Inquick, and it relates uh, a couple of these questions relate to the span, the span of the bridge or the Inquick system. So what is the maximum span length of the Inquick system, Logan? Yeah, so that's a good question, and we uh, currently have a maximum span of 18 and a half meters as a single. And that's designed uh, as a simply supported structure uh, and only using reinforcement to carry the wet concrete weight. So if we incorporate uh, some post-tensioning or if we create uh, an integral structure where we consider it as continuous over the pier, we can then consider longer spans, you know, and it's very, it'd be very bespoke design, but we're at the moment very focused on sort of the shorter span, uh, you know, type bridges up to, to that sort of 18 metre span. So this question, the next question relates to it. So have you looked into using post-tensioning to get to longer spans? Yeah, and so that's, um, that's something that we uh, are currently looking at. It does create another complexity when it comes to the design, but what we are considering is actually utilising the truss to carry the wet concrete weight and then using post-tensioning to carry the live loads. And so these are things that we can consider, you know, using a McAloid bar or something like that um, to, to carry that load. But uh, again, um, it's a little bit more site-specific. Yeah, thanks for that, Logan. Uh, the next question is, for Logan, so are the P's extension of casts into two board piles? Um, so the piers um, on the bridge project that we was were presenting on, um, they were a driven steel pile with a liner, a concrete liner above ground level. Um, that uh, that was cast um, just simply for durability uh, purposes rather than as a concrete pile. Okay, thanks for that, Logan. So we'll move on to Erica um, in terms of the Hay Bridge, Hay Street Bridge project. So, what were the main challenges for your project? Well, I suppose I addressed the main challenges were uh, uh, were suspending a, a span uh, shallower than the original design and still having the end end spans that were no longer uh, that they were that were then made simply supported to still. Uh, maintain the integrity of the whole bridge to accommodate that cut. Uh, as the bigger challenge for the construction people may have been closures of the freeway and controlling the traffic. Yeah, and I guess I'd add to that in relation to Will's comment, dealing with an existing structure is always interesting. Um, so we had an 18 tonne load limited structure so that um, compromised what equipment you could also use on Hay Street in order to construct the, um, the changes as well. Thanks for that. And were there other options investigated? Oh, a whole bunch. <laughs> um, look, um, it's something that has has been a bugbear, I guess, of main roads for, for a while. Um, and they've looked at everything from jacking up the original structure to 
uh, replacing the structure, we looked at um, vehicle detection overheight systems um, and how they could be employed uh, to um, at least alert drivers that uh, they had an overheight uh, load issue. We also looked at lowering the freeway, as I alluded to before. So there were a whole bunch of different options that were looked at, and, and this was considered to be the pre preferred option. Yeah. So um, what was the cost of this relative to a bridge replacement? It's estimated to be about 5 to 7% of the cost of a, of a bridge replacement, so massive saving to, to main roads um, in the reuse of the existing structure. Thanks for that, Erica. So we'll move on to Will from Becca. So we have a comment here and question. So thank you for your presentation. So you mentioned that you relax some of your expected load versus deflection values, 10% extra for only 85% of deflection when reinstating the cord member. Was this What was this based on? Um, previous experience with older structures or the results you found for actual bridge deflection versus findings? It was based upon the analysis and assessment of the members affected by that member. So we pre-determined what was going to be a minimum displacement that we could accept and that still provided the four-lane load carrying capacity. So we'd done a, a full assessment, a theoretical assessment, before we got to do the installation process. So it was based on the results of that load assessment. Okay, thanks for that, Will. Uh, we have a question for Boris. So could you please elaborate on the extent of temporary works required for incremental launching? Yeah, sure. So, so on, on, I mean, every incremental launch bridge requires that launching girder that you probably have seen that on, on, on some of the slides. A uh, spe special thing on on this project was this curved soffit that actually didn't give us a fixed point, if you like, for 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 to, to support uh, the bridge for lateral loads. And and in, in some slides you might have seen the, the these white frames that were actually quite tall side guides that that we actually have to develop to actually keep the bridge in in in, the, in, in that path. So so basically launching girder with the connection side guides. Temporary, we have used temporary bearings prior to the replacement with, with the old ones, uh, Abyss package jacks that we used for the push and pull, if you like, and uh, casting bed plus reasonably complex uh, uh, formwork uh, used for the curl section. Hope that sort of summarized that. Thanks for that, Boris. So in terms of the InQuick system for Logan, we have a few questions relating to the natural disaster event. So how do quick bridge quick sorry, how do quick bridges perform in flooding and natural disaster events? Yeah, um, so we have been heavily involved in emergency uh, response projects uh, from the fires that happened in 2019-20 uh, and then the subsequent flooding. And we're also currently heavily involved in rebuilding up in the Northern Rivers uh, from flooding events. We built a bridge recently uh, down in sort of southeastern New South Wales, and it goes underwater by 12 metres in a flooding event. And the bridge is around uh, 70 metres long. So it's a five span uh, bridge and uh, performing very, very well. It's already been underwater about 13, 14 times um, since it's been in operation. And we're building one uh, just downstream of that, which is 100 metres long. And so, yeah, we're, we're working a lot um, in that, providing, uh, I'm heading over to New Zealand actually to, to uh, discuss with a few clients about bridges that have been lost in the flooding events as well. and um, and we can ship them out components from Australia uh, to, to be able to help, uh, you know, with the E-grade rebar. And, um, uh, and so it, they're performing well. We've, you know, they're easily sort of shipped and, and, uh, and very resilient structures. So, um, yeah, hopefully that answers the question. 
Yeah, thanks for that, Logan. So that's all the questions that were received. So we'll now close off this session and I'll hand it over to Ekaterina who will present to you some closing slides. Thanks so much, Elise, and thanks uh, everyone uh, for your presentations. Uh, thanks to the audience for being with us today. Um, yes, I have a couple of slides to close out for today. So um, as you can see on this slide, there is um, a number of webinars we have scheduled. Uh, please visit the Austria's website for more information um, and to register. Um, and as usual, after we close out the session, uh, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. Um, let us know what you liked or didn't like. It really helps us to shape our, our, our future webinar program. Once again, today's session has been recorded and we will send you the link to the recording when it's published on our website. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe um, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.